0: Welcome to the podcast for Cultural Reformation, a ministry of the Ezra Institute, where we equip current and emerging Christian cultural leaders with biblical worldview, Christian philosophy, and cultural apologetic studies through residential in-person training programs. We also do that in print and in digital resources, of course our podcast is one of those great digital resources that we're offering. Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Teeson together with Dr. Joseph Boot, and today we are going to continue along a story. You know, Joe, we thought we were going to move away from the Alistair Bag and transgender wedding topics and that we would move towards a topic that's important to both of us on fatherhood because we've been talking about the family But based upon the morning that I have had and based upon something developing uh, where Alistair Begg has gone forward and preached a sermon on Luke 15 called compassion versus condemnation in order to clarify the counsel he gave to a grandmother in the summer of 2023, we are going to be talking about the convergence of the need for fathers in a culture that is denying reality. So, Joe, uh, why don't you take us away for a f- with some of your intro thoughts, like some of the things you've just been looking into over the last hour?
1: Yeah, so as you said, Michael, in this short series we're doing on the family for our podcast for Cultural Reformation at the beginning of the new year, uh, we're trying to get to a number of subjects, and it's sometimes difficult to get there when you're constantly dealing now with the caving uh, of big Eva in particular, the big evangelical gospel coalition world uh, on these issues, and we're seeing at times even sh- shocking, surprisingly, uh, certain uh, teachers that we would expect better from uh, compromising and uh, and and caving on, on this situation and, and in this perspective. So. Um, we will get to talking about fathers, and, and we've also had a bunch of questions come in that we want to start addressing this week as well. And so uh, we'll pick up on a couple of those uh, in a moment. But j- just to begin with, for those maybe who missed the program last week or are not aware, Alistair Begg is a popular conservative Christian teacher in America. Uh, he's um, Scottish by background and heritage, and has been a a sort of trusted go-to Bible teacher. We talked a bit last week about how it's incredible how so many of these men are able to deliver competent sermons on the cross, on justification, the meaning of sanctification, and then as soon as they wade in or speak to anything on the culture, it's a train wreck. And part of the reason for that, I think, is that there is a complete lack of a developed Christian world and life view. We have lost the Christian mind. We can talk about doctrines, but they're doctrines in the abstract, and they're often uh, doctrines that are uh, basically unapplied, removed from culture. And when the interaction of a Christian truth, biblical truth, with culture becomes central in a given situation like this, we often find that these uh, men who um, very often had uh, faithful pastoral ministries, as in the case of Alistair Begg, seem at a loss uh, to know how to accurately address the situation and the culture. The illustration that I've used frequently is that of the difference between uh, the, an engine and a transmission. Um, we're told in Scripture that the gospel is the power of God to salvation. You can have a very, very powerful engine, um, a big, powerful V8 or V12 engine but unless there is a transmission that isn't able to, to translate the power of that engine to the axle so that the car can move, you've got no progress. And Christian world and life view, Christian philosophy, uh, based out of the word of God, is like the transmission. It's insufficient to know and be able to preach doctrine The power is locked up there unless a scriptural world and life view is able to be the transition, the the transmission into the reality of daily life. And this is where we're seeing the collapse. Now, our hope and our expectation after last week's program, and especially as we saw a number of uh, leaders across the the Christian spectrum, actually, interestingly, both Catholic and evangelical, respond to Alistair Begg um, largely, there were exceptions, but largely graciously, and and call him to rethink this, and call him to repent and recant this public statement. He's doubled down. He's tripled down. Um, and as you say, has preached this sermon. Now we we addressed the issue that he raises actually in detail. So um, we've already answered what Alistair Begg actually says on this sermon in Luke 15, we answered it in last week's podcast, preemptively, actually, interestingly enough, we preempted what the arguments would be. Um, And we've already answered them. So I don't think we have to go all of, over all of that again, although I'm sure we, we've, we, we, we can make some remarks uh and clarify that for people. Um But we've, we've addressed that. But tragically, he's doubled down. And just by way of introductory remark, I just think this is a tragic example of how big Eva, in particular, that the the old evangelical boomer conservative world, led by these uh, boomer generation leaders, who are coming to the really the end of their leadership in the evangelical community, and I think probably it's time that they did, um, because they are making so many mistakes now and misleading so many people, and when an error is pointed out to them graciously, they're not listening Uh, and they won't repent and they won't recant. And then they double down on this profoundly misguided advice. Now, I think that is a problem Um, when we are unprepared to listen to others. You know, there's been times in my life where I haven't wanted to hear something that faithful Christian leaders have had to say to me. But when we listen, we grow. And I think the difficulty with some of these big name, big Eva figures is they have gotten themselves six foot above above criticism in their pulpits. And they think because they've got a radio audience and an, an internet audience, they don't actually have to listen to the Christian community. Um, and um, they get too big for their own britches. It was my hope that that was not the case with Alistair Begg, that this was a humble man, a man who would be prepared to listen to faithful, godly feedback. It's tragic that this doubling down has actually happened um, and is further distressing the Christian community. In fact, I've just read today that there are Christian radio stations now who are cancelling Alistair Begg's program. And um, frankly, Michael, I commend them for doing so, because I'm sure that they'll be losing listeners overtaking those kinds of steps. But I know that some of the family radio programs in the States now are actually canceling his program
0: Joe, going back to your um, illustration there about uh, the gearbox this is also this is also something that is coming up quite regularly where we talk conceptually that is either theologically or philosophically, but we think of concepts in broad general terms
1: mm-hmm.
0: and we you're seeing this boomer generation that grew up with this, um, sprinkling veneer of, uh, humanism that basically just kept saying, yeah, we get it that you're better than other people because of Jesus. But in, in general, people are good. So you don't have to confront, you can just, you can talk in generality. I'm sure you grew up in the generation where people would say, I'm not religious. Or, um, they would say things like, um, uh, uh, I I have a faith and and instead of talking about I have a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ they 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 could get away in this quasi post-Christian world with generalities but again this is another defining moment in the church where we get the specifics of things like how do I love my neighbor what is the definition of compassion what is the definition of condemnation we get the specifics of course from christ when he addressed these things perfectly and 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 very often went beyond what the old testament law would have would have would have addressed and and gone to the heart and and kind of revealed the heart of the matter but then we have all of the old testament to look at the specifics of Uh, What does it mean to deal with these levels of criminality in society? And so it was really interesting. Let's merge this topic to fatherhood. So this morning, I'm working out. I've just taken my 14-year-old daughter to the gym. Uh, She's just met with a personal trainer. Um, I'm feeling like, man, we got up at 6 a.m. We're at the gym by 6.30. We're working out. On, on the way out, I get a text from the guy who introduced me to the gym and he says, by the way, you need to be aware there is a trans dude uh, working out here now and trying to use the female bathrooms. Uh, we, we, we've we got to say something to the manager. And so I went and I spoke directly to the manager who uh, graciously responded to me and, and spent some time with me. But... I got the age old answers um, until I started showing courage as a father and speaking very clearly. So the first age old answer is, well, we're just trying to make everybody comfortable. The second age old answer is, well, times have changed and this goes to your point and this goes to my point about the law. You're right. A man uh, could not be wed to another man while pretending to be a woman 30 years ago, 40 years ago, a man could not come into a public space dressed as a woman and demand to be treated like a woman because the specifics of the law forbid him from doing that. And so these big Eva guys and, and, and fathers like us are, are often failing because we want to allude to the general, you know, like begs preaching through Luke 15. Joe, you and I have preached through Luke 15 multiple times. We want to see the lost found. You know, we, we want to see people saved. But Jesus wasn't hanging out with sinners while they were committing their orgies. Like he, he wasn't hanging out with... He wasn't hanging out with sinners and, and promoting sin. We talked about that last week. And where this is falling apart, and I, I want to pass it to you because I know you looked up this scripture this morning, is again a an antinomian uh, appealing to generality but not looking to what God's word says in his law about the specifics of a man cross-dressing. And if the law and the church understood those specifics, in a situation like this, what types of weddings do I go to? What types of counsel do I give as a pastor? We would go, oh, well, you you, you can't go to that wedding because it's literally a crime to perform that wedding. And so this is why we've got to return to the specifics of the law. I know you were looking in Deuteronomy and and have some thoughts Mm -hmm. on that.
1: Well, yes. And obviously the the question of antinomianism is front and center when we think about the issue of Christian world and life view. I mean, when we are talking about biblical world and life view, a central part of that is how we regard, first of all, the law of God, which remember, Michael, as you've said, Jesus affirmed. Jesus affirmed the law of God in its totality. Yes, he elevated the law by going to the heart, as you said, of the issues. He showed the internal, not just the external, intent of the law. And in Matthew 5, he makes crystal clear that he's not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And so um, we, we, we actually think that we take Jesus seriously, but we don't. And that is a a, a very significant part of this problem, that you could actually, that somebody could turn to Luke 15 to preach the words of Jesus and then essentially make out that the fact that God um, has, that Jesus Christ has compassion for the lost would somehow mean that if the wedding at Cana had been a couple of trans people, or a pair of homosexual men, that Jesus would have been there bringing gifts and sourcing the wine. Imagine that for a moment. And that's exactly the point that you're making, that there is a great difference between Jesus being willing to sit with tax collectors and sinners. Paul himself says, you know, I'm not telling you to take yourself out of the world. Um, If, if, uh, in fact, Paul's explicit um, commandments about non-association are uh, with those who profess to be Christians but are living contrary to the Christian uh, Christian teaching, to the biblical teaching, um, and that we are to separate ourselves from such people and treat them as unbelievers. In other words, they need to be recipients of the preaching of the gospel. So the context of witness by being among people in ordinary everyday life in the world is, of course, um, a, a basic requirement of Christian witness. But as we dealt with last week, attendance at, celebration of, and putting one's imprimatur on and suggesting that Jesus would, on something which the Bible regards as an abomination, which God's law regards as an abomination, shows you the extent of the antinomianism that grips the church. And it grips these evangelical preachers. They are antinomian to the core. And Alistair Begg, I'm afraid to say now in this situation, is revealing himself to be antinomian in posture. Um, why has he not gone to the law of God, gone to the life of, and teaching explicitly of Jesus on the law of God? I mean, please give me one illustration, Alistair, one example of where Jesus violates the law of God, um, and says you need to set aside God's law. No, what he did criticize the Pharisees for, for the fact that they hadn't read God's law, they didn't know God's law, and they set aside God's law for their tradition. I would say what we're dealing with now is Big Eva and many of these pastors setting aside God's law for their evangelical, pious, culturally sensitive um, traditions, um, that have been built up over time in response to the rebellion of our culture. And it goes to the point that you're making, too, about doctrine and abstraction that we've, we've, we've mentioned, is that we're very good at talking about the formal authority of the Bible. And men like Alistair Begg have been very good at talking about the formal authority of Scripture. It's, it's infallibility, it's authority. But when it comes to its material authority, its actual application we seem to run into all kinds of difficulties. So let's just take two uh, passages of, of Scripture from God's law that relate to first to, to your uh, situation at the gym, and then, of course, your responsibility as a father in that situation, and then the, the wedding situation that Alistair Begg has been referring to. So first of all, in Deuteronomy chapter 22 in God's law, We are told about preserving God's creational distinctions. And the first thing that God says in Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, is this. A woman is not to wear male clothing, and a man is not to put on a woman's garment. For everyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord your God. Now, I want to, you know, Alistair. Pastor Beg, you know, are we saying that God's law here is simply unimportant? That com- that compassion in inverted commas means endorsing and celebrating what God calls detestable? Then, of course, uh, those who are familiar with their Bibles will know that Leviticus eighteen specifically deals with this as well, in verse twenty-two, where Scripture says. Uh, in beginning in verse 21 you are not to make any of your children pass through the fire to molech do not profane the name of the lord your god i am yahweh you are not to sleep with a man as with a woman it is detestable or an abomination verse 23 you are not to have sexual intercourse with any animal defiling yourself with it a woman is not to present herself to an animal to mate with it it is a perversion Do not defile yourselves by any of these practices, for the nations I am driving out before you have defiled themselves by all these things. So what God calls an abomination, or some English translations render it detestable, the very reason that God drove out the Canaanites before the Israelites was because of these abominations. We cannot possibly celebrate them. We cannot endorse them. We cannot bring gifts to them. Um, and the notion that Jesus teaching in Luke 15, um, about bearing effective witness and having compassion on the lost overrides the requirements of God's law, as though somehow these are in contradiction with one another is absurd. And, um, this this in the end becomes about wanting to justify human tradition over against God's order. What if, what would, I wonder, Michael, if you were to pick up the phone, just like that grandmother, to Alistair Begg this week and say, Alistair, this is what's just happened to me at the gym, and uh, this is the situation for my daughter. What is a good witness in this situation? I mean, based on Alistair's logic, From what he's been arguing thus far, then your witness, Michael, is to carry on, accept this man in the gym dressed in female clothes, even accept him uh, using the uh, female washrooms where your daughter may be changing, because this is compassion, not judgment. Uh, This is showing that you are a compassionate person and you want to see this person one to Christ. Never mind the danger to your daughter. Never mind what the message this sends to everybody else in the gym, no matter what everybody else is having to deal with and be exposed to, because somehow this means uh, this text, text somehow means that you are required to be accepting of this situation. If you push the logic of his argument, really, there's no basis for resisting immorality in any area of public life or cultural life.
0: And Joe, that's such an important point. And everybody, you need to hear that very clearly. What we're talking about is equivalencies or false equivalencies. So it is it is accurate, the way that Joe just said this, to follow Alistair's logic all the way through to say, well, if we've if we've if we've torn the boundaries of what a witness at a wedding does and should do, then We can basically rip the boundaries off of any type of behavior, and we should just be with people where they are doing whatever they do. That is that is a – so so it is equivalent to say – it is equal to say that going to a gay wedding would be like saying, accept that man changing in front of your daughter or checking your daughter out while he changed. What is a false equivalency is to say – if I, as a father, go to the gym and say to the gym, the way that I did this morning, saying, look, you need to have a policy where uh, the dress code is that you dress according to your biological sex. You need to have a policy that says men do not change in women's bathrooms or women do not change in men's bathrooms under any circumstance. Just lay out those two policies. I could go to the gym work out beside the same guy who's now dressed like a guy and not endangering my daughter in her washroom. I could go out for dinner with that guy and him tell me, uh, by the way, I, I'm, I'm a girl. Like, I, I think I'm a girl and I could, as a pastor minister to him, the way I have ministered to the trans community in the past. And I, as a father could uh, appeal to him as a as a uh, to to turn away from this perversion. I I as a Christian can preach the gospel to that man. I can truly um, have a compassion for that man. In fact, I Joe I reassured I reassured the gym owner this morning, saying, "Look, I am not out for this man's head. I am out for this man to be controlled. I am out for this man not to be able to redefine woman." Uh, we live in a state where Um, uh, we moved to this state of Kentucky because of some of the very clear laws that have been written, uh, in the education act where the schools can teach nothing outside of biological sex. They they can only teach body affirmation in the real truest sense of affirming your biological sex. So I said, I said to the gym owner, yeah, this is in Kentucky. So I said to the gym owner, these laws are on the books like you've got some help to look to here. I want to stand beside you and and you can be confident that I am also a man of compassion. I'm not out for this man's head. Now I am out for this man to be controlled in public. He cannot have free reign of the gym. And again, we use this. Now let's follow that logical. Let's follow that logical equivalency out. So in any situation, I can minister to people but if they are involving themselves in a sin, I step away and say I can't participate with you right now, but I can minister to you at other times in the same way that likely every male in that gym struggles with pornography, likely every female in that gym struggles with uh vanity. Uh we we have our we we have all of our stru- personal struggles.
1: But I don't join them. No. This is where I think, you know, to 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 extend the illustration. Let's say this grandmother has gone along to this wedding that Alistair Begg advises her to go to. She's taken her gift. What is she going to witness at this wedding? Well, she's going to witness um, homosexuals interacting with each other on the dance floor. She's going to see the groom and groom uh, kissing one another. Uh, She's going to see public displays of affection between um, men of the same sex. And in all probability, too, at those kinds of in those kinds of settings, and especially in the trans context, which was what apparently this original illustration that Alistair was asked about uh, was the actual context. What is the arrangement for washrooms at those kinds of weddings? Well, I can tell you what it is. It's exactly the arrangement that you've just spoken about in that Kentucky gym. Um, that... Uh, th- and that is what you're actually exposing yourself to, others to. That's actually what you're going along with and affirming. And uh, uh, to, to, to draw a parallel, and I think I did this on social media. Well, what if the grandmother phones and says, um, I want to be a good uh, witness to my granddaughter, who is really struggling at the moment. She's in a um, she's in a relationship, which is, uh, not appropriate. She's in a, she's in a, in a relationship where she is in fact, um, sleeping with her boyfriend and she's pregnant and it's a crisis pregnancy and she wants an abortion and she wants me to go with her. Well, what are you going to do? Um, it's, ex- it's, it's, it's just, it's a, a different setting but it's exactly the same kind of issue. Look at that text there that I just read to you in uh, Leviticus, because the verse, verse 21, prior to verse 22 about men sleeping with men, it's about making your children pass through the fire to Molech. This was about basically child sacrifice. Now, what is the modern abortion industry but passing our children through the fire to Molech? It is the sacrifice of our children on the altar of the God of self. Um, and it's in exactly the same passage of God's law that deals with what is detestable to the Lord. So, what is uh, Alistair Begg going to say? Well, to be a good witness, then, to be a faithful witness to your granddaughter, show that you're not judgmental, but you're loving and compassionate. And you want her to know the Lord. That you're going to go along and support her. Now, that is an equivalence. That is a that is the a logical extension of what. Um, Alistair Begg's argument actually means on the ground. And that's why it's so deadly. It's why it's so dangerous. The notion that, as you've said, Michael, being a good witness means somehow participating in celebrating and endorsing what God considers abomination and detestable is utterly fallacious. It's completely wrong. We can, as you've said, be a faithful witness build relationships and friendships with those who are in the grip of all manner of sins that are detestable to the Lord, that are actually destroying those people's lives and sending them into a Christless eternity, and we can be a faithful witness to them. And the thing that will make us an unfaithful witness to them that will be totally counterproductive is to participate in and endorse and celebrate their sin with them and encourage them on the highway to destruction that they're actually on, temporally and eternally. And that these things have to be spelled out to boomer pastors who have been in the ministry all these years is astonishing. But it comes back to where we started, Michael. The collapse of the Christian world and life view, which involves the antinomianism that has gripped the church now for decades. This is lawlessness. From the culture in the church. And um, we have to recover, as the Ezra Institute has argued for 15, 16, 17 years now, we have to recover the law of God, the law that Jesus taught, that Jesus upheld. Um, if we are going to, we're going to, we have to take the life and teaching of Jesus seriously, uh, not pretend to, if we're going to be able to face up to this culture. And be faithful fathers in this culture, Michael. Um, What is our obligation as fathers uh, to our wives and to our children in this cultural setting where there's such rebellion and apostasy um, all around us?
0: And and we are exactly at the 30-minute mark, halfway through the podcast, where now we need to do this transition. And uh, I'm sorry, I I'm triggered by that word. And you were using the transmission box earlier. And I was just like, how many times is Joe going to use the word trans in this conversation? <laughs> um, so here is where, uh, and we'll go with my, my, my personal story this morning, cause it's so real right in front of my eyes. Do you know how hard it was for me still to walk up to my personal trainer and say, hey, I just got this text. Is this true? Yes. Okay. What's being done? Well, it's uh, currently right now, this is our policy. I'm supposed to take your name down and you're, and someone will call you. Okay. Well, take my name down and have them call me. Like Number one, do you know how hard it was? Then while I'm with my personal trainer, the young lady at the front desk is listening in and it was so hard for me just to say, hey, by the way, in our politically charged world, um, people are going to dance around about this. I want to be abundantly clear. This is a man dressing as a woman, and he is threatening uh, the women of this gym by ignoring their their identity, by, by actually pretending that he can be one of them. It's, it's an affront to all of the women. And of course, I have a 14-year-old daughter here. And I'm hoping that the gym will not just toe up a, 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 you know, a political line and just be afraid to speak up. I said, look, if I had to come in this morning, you did my, you did my personal assessment this morning. You asked me how much I could bench. If I had have said, oh, I identify as someone who can bench 300 pounds. Would you and I have gone down to the bench press, like looking at me and who I am and you've watched me work out for a week? Like, would you have let me know if I had have said, Hey, I'm a horse. Would you have created a stall for me? Nope. It's only in this little microscopic world where some dude puts on a dress and some makeup where all of a sudden the women of the gym become under, all of that was so hard for me. And I'm a guy who's on a podcast with you and I, I have my own podcast. You and I speak publicly about that. And still, I just wanted to walk out of the gym with my daughter behind me and say, let someone else deal with it. Or, okay, I hope. I hope that my daughter never meets up with this guy or Lord, really again, again, like, are you calling, like, are you calling me again to fight for justice and to fight for like, I'm tired, Lord. And again, these people, what are they going to think of me? What's the, what's the gym owner going to think of me? And so I had to go through all of that almost instantaneously and say, no way as a father, and as a husband, I am defending my wife and my daughter, and I'm defending the wives and the daughters of all of the men of this gym, and 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 the single women. I, I, we are we have to do something, and so I I felt good about it. In fact, Joe, this happened to us when we were in South Carolina. I remember you got asked a very delicate question about critical theory, and I remember even in your responses, which are so clear and articulate. It took you about four or five minutes to kind of decide you were answering. And then I could see in your mind, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm, I am ripping the bandaid off. I am answering how I am convicted completely according to scripture. And here it goes. And you could see the difference, but I saw you make the decision. And, and that is what fathers need to do right now. We need to make the
1: decision to
0: take leadership.
1: Uh, the the notion that women should not have protected single sex spaces is the most obvious thing you would think to anybody with common sense and in the in the media whether you're in the US or in the UK or or Canada there have been so many high profile cases now of rape in washrooms of abuse of rape in prisons uh, the whole Former leader of the opposition in, of the Scottish National Party, I should say, in Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon, basically lost her premiership over um, this issue of trans inmates um, and the, uh, the abuse and rape that took place um, by men uh, pretending to be women in these um, uh, places of incarceration uh in in the prisons and so you would think this would be fairly obvious for christians that if even the secular world is in a struggle over this that there is huge opposition and and recognition of the risk to women of men masquerading as as women uh that um, that this would be the most obvious thing for christians and yet somehow it isn't and i'm glad that you've related it directly to being a father and taking our responsibility and our leadership even though it's still uncomfortable for us even though it's difficult even sometimes you just don't want to have to be dealing with it it'd be easier to just walk away and say i'm going to join another gym i don't have to deal with this nonsense um the the reason we are where we are today culturally michael as you know is that actually we've been demoralized, uh, literally demoralized. Uh, we've been ideologically subverted. And what that has meant is that as we, uh, the, our culture has lost its moral moorings um, and we have participated in more and more sins. Think about the average man. Actually, you've already mentioned it in this podcast, the average man struggling with pornography, various other addictions. Outside of the the life of Christ and Christian commitment and Christian moral commitment, um, we become uh, weakened and demoralized. And demoralized people cannot resist evil. If we don't have our sin and uh, guilt and shame dealt with, we feel powerless to resist evil because we think to ourselves, well, I'm guilty. I've got all of these problems myself. What right do I have to stand up to and resist this kind of behavior? And so Western men in general, if you took a straw poll of Western men, men in Britain, men in Canada, men in the United States, they don't approve of this. They don't go along with this if they're being honest. Not at all. But they have not resisted it. Fathers have not resisted it on the whole. Very few exceptions. They've, they've not stood up. They've not publicly said, no, this is not happening. This is not happening in this school where my daughter goes to school. This is not happening where my son goes to play sports. This is not going to happen. Um, and the failure is because of demoralization. The moral compass is gone. And uh, because, uh, Michael, even when it was nominal, when seventy percent of the population of Toronto, for example, in the late nineteenth century was in church and they were hearing about God's word and God's law, and when many, many people were going to the Lord's table, where your sin and your guilt and your shame is dealt with, it's laid upon Christ, and you and you you leave that table of of covenant. Um, commitment to Christ and Christ's covenant commitment to you, your participation in His body, where He bears your sin. You are morally empowered at that point. Your sin is gone; it's cleansed. You are now morally empowered. That's why, in the uh, the prayer book in the in the Anglican tradition, uh, we recite the law of God, and and then we ask God to to send us out um, to obey Him. Uh, that we would obey his word, that we would obey his law. Um, And we recommit ourselves to doing that Um, uh, because our sin and guilt is taken away. But when you've got a culture that sin and shame and guilt is not taken away, it sits there, it hangs over people. It's embedded in their hearts and minds like a neurosis. And demoralization is all around them. They are stripped of the ability to resist. And that's why we are where we are. Why is it? Why does it fall to you to be the guy that has to stand up? Well, because the 50 other guys or the 100 of the guys who've been in there before you are demoralized. And they do not have the will. They don't have the strength of character and will to address the situation as a father and as a husband. Uh, they're afraid to do so. They don't feel em- uh, empowered to do so because... A, their guilt and shame themselves is not is not addressed, and B, they lack the strength of a moral a compass that's given to them in the Word of God, to say here is the line and no further. And in the end, that is a failure of fatherhood. And I and uh, I know that next week we want to get to lots of the questions that have come in from from the from the previous two weeks, and we will. We promise our listeners that we'll, we'll get to that. But I think this is such a critical point. And the fact that you have shared that, you know, even for a a pastor, even for somebody who's been cutting it on the face in the public space with the Ezra Institute and with the um, Liberty Coalition Canada, uh, defending the faith, standing up and resisting um, this uh, juggernaut of um, sexual perversion in our culture that it nonetheless takes courage and conviction when it lands right on our own doorstep, when you take your daughter into the gym and you're confronted with this issue. It's not not simply a report on, on the news, not simply a situation where we're hearing about some guy who's entered a girl's teenage swimming gala and he's changing in their dressing room, but it's actually your daughter. That's when a father has the responsibility to protect because we are called Biblically, to lead in our families, to instruct, to be uh, servant leaders, to protect and to provide. Um, Paul is, of course, explicit about that. He who does not care for his own, especially those of his own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. That's just not. That's not just financial provision. That is, do we provide care? Do we provide leadership? Do we provide protection? as fathers, as men for our families. And if we'd been standing up in this way, if fathers in these Western cultures had been standing up to this, we wouldn't be where we are today. We wouldn't have these situations in schools and in prisons and in the public space. This would have been dealt with. And instead, actually, Michael, it's often been left to the women, women in sports, Sometimes even feminists who are actually part of the problem, um, who have actually who opened Pandora's box, really, and and led us to this situation. Feminists to actually stand up and defend women's only spaces when it should have been men leading in their families doing this.
0: Absolutely. That that's another story close to where I'm, where I'm living, right? You just type in Kentucky female swimmer and it comes up with Riley Gaines. Riley Gaines had to walk through fire to try to get, uh, men out of her sport. And, uh, you just, you see a picture of her in second place to that dude who just grew his hair a little long and then started competing against women. Um, Joe, I have three scriptures that I want to draw uh, to everyone's attention on this point. So often when we think of the doctrine of father or when we think of the doctrine of men, and we say the doctrine of men, like the, the God, how God created men. There, there's not a whole lot of explicit explanations of the nature of a father, but there's so many illustrations as to the nature of a father. Uh, God, the father, we see, we see the illustration of, of God's fatherly nature in, in the, in the prodigal son, um, where he goes out and takes initiative to bring a prodigal home. Um, we see the, the, uh, the concept of discipline, you know, the Lord disciplines those he loves. Um, we see the concept of fatherhood all throughout the old Testament in the way that God led his people, um, and that, and then we see a lot of illustrations to men generally, or commands actually more specifically to men generally on this concept of courage. So Acts four, you know, uh, Peter and John are standing before the Sanhedrin when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men. They were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. You know, Jesus transforms us. And then as ordinary unschooled guys, we can go out into the gyms and go, I don't have a PhD, but I know what all the PhDs are saying is stupid. A guy cannot be a girl. And people will then take note because they've seen our courage. Acts 27, 25. So keep your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be on your guard, stand firm, be men of courage, be strong. So at, at, at very least, we know that a part of God's creational plan, a, God, a part of the theological concept of father is a component of courage and, and boldness in the face of controversy. God has God has called men specifically to be courageous in these moments. And like you said, um, that men, men are demoralized. And furthermore, they've not, it's easy to not be courageous. It's way easier to hide behind little Riley Gaines, the swimmer, and say, Oh, look at the, it would have actually been much easier for me this morning to send my daughter up and say, uh, hey, can you go and complain that there might be a guy in your bathroom, or or just to wait until there was a horrible situation, and then she balls up and 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 cries about what's happened to her, and I, I just let it all happen. But then she's the protester. God has called us to be courageous and to, and and to be leaders and to stand up for justice. And so this this merger of this cultural issue a missing framework that people need to then get to the specifics one of the components is simply as we've been talking about to have the courage to say I'm I know what the specifics are I've I've gone and looked at God's word I now know what they are I'm now going to go and do something about it so so men as you are listening to this podcast Joe and I implore you to be men of courage be strong look to the specifics of God's word and then go out and reclaim the culture. And just so you know, again, uh, uh, those who are listening and going, well, I'm, I'm concerned about the gospel. I guarantee you that because I have now addressed this issue with the manager, I will have opportunities to share the gospel in this gym now for the next five years because I've asked I've, I've said hey not I want if the if the company doesn't have a policy let me help shape the policy if this guy needs me to speak to him directly I will speak to him directly what do you want me to do but I'm here to help and I will preach the gospel the whole time while trying to be courageous in the face of evil in a in a in a setting where now it's publicly acceptable
1: it's a great Joe, reminder. last comment. yeah it's yeah. a great reminder that uh, the gospel is about the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel isn't just the acceptance of a handful of propositions about personal salvation. Um, In fact, in many respects, we can say the gospel is more than doctrine. The gospel is about living out the fullness of the Christian life to be a Christian is about living the Christian life, not just affirming a few propositions about it that can be preached in a sermon. It's about living it out. It's about following Christ in the everyday, just as you've been talking about. It's about the kingdom of God. And when you were speaking, I was just reminded of the apostle Paul, who at one point in the book of Acts says, I stood alone. Everybody had deserted me, everyone. And we have to be willing to be there as well. Just like Paul, we have to be ready to be athanasius contramundum, uh, athanasius against the world. We have to be ready to say, even if it's just me, even if I have to stand alone, like Paul, I'm going to stand alone on the issue. That's courage, uh, that's conviction, that's faithfulness, and that's what God is looking for in fathers. Next week, we will obviously have a great chance to do a deeper dive into that. That's a great teaser, I think, for uh, further discussion about being fathers. And, um, and also, as we begin to answer some of the listener questions, who have asked now a lot of questions about marriage, um, being a father, being a dad, parenting, and those things, we will get into that. Um, I think you've teed us up for that nicely, Michael. Thank you.
0: Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Make sure that you go and download the Fight, Laugh, Feast app where uh, the Ezra Institute's podcast, that's one of the platforms that they're on. Make sure you go to iTunes or Spotify, wherever you get your downloads and like and share this episode. Uh, We are very, very thankful for partners in ministry who are... Uh, Even this week talking, I was talking to some partners who are saying our family needs to hear this type of worldview training. So go to the Ezra Institute.com and you can look up uh, our worldview youth academies for your young adults. We are uh, going to be running a family camp in Minnesota. Uh, We have the cultural uh, leadership academy going this year. We would love for you to sign up or to say, I'm going to sponsor a student or a family to go to one of these events. So your partnership is is important. Please, would you go to the EzraInstitute.com and look to see how you can get involved and train, and to partner with us. And as we leave, I just want to remind you from Romans 11, uh, 36, from him and through him and to him, of course, speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, are all things and to Christ be the glory forever. Amen. Thank you for listening. God bless.